Hi, this is Rob Valentine, and you're listening to The Sirens of Audio. G'day audiophiles, this is the Sirens of Audio, episode 23, I think we're up to now, fantastic. Um, thanks very much for joining me, I will be joined later on by my co-host Philip, and my name is Dwayne, by the way, in case you didn't realise that. Today's episode's a very special one, we are going to be speaking with Scott Hancock, he is uh, one of Big Finish's busiest producers, directors, writers... And uh, he's going to be talking to us about his involvement with the July monthly release called uh, Time Apart. Going to be talking specifically about Torchwood, Save Our Souls. And we're also going to be prying a little deeper into some of the other ranges that he's been involved with too, like Dorian Gray. So stick around for that. We're going to be talking to him in just a moment. So I'm going to throw in a trailer here for Time Apart. And then we'll have Scott Hancock for you in your ears. Halt! Who goes there? I'd rather a friend than the alternative. Step out while I can see you. I'm the doctor, by the way. From Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, Time Apart. A border guard patrolling the invisible line between the east and west. A line which, of course, extends beneath the ground beneath the wall. The Berlin Wall. They sealed up the stations when they built the wall. Fourteen years ago. The passengers look out through their windows at these old stations, dark, forgotten, suspended in time. They call them Geisterbahnhöfen. Ghost stations. The devil whispered in my ear and I invited him in. My words that drew you across the bridge were as the kiss that set the people on our lord. It was Clement who whispered in your ear, not the devil. This man was the first to cross the bridge. He came of his own free will and innocent. He is the sacrifice that the spirits demand. Knock, knock. What? Who are you? Travelling prisons, Inspector. Probably. And this is... Uh, Mary. One of your prisons. He's turned Then let's hope this works. What kind of doctor did you say you were? Ah, well... Uh, rather like Erasmus, actually. A sort of master of all subjects. Stranger fictions like this are something of my speciality. I should warn you, the people of this town are backward and superstitious. They'll think you're a sorcerer. I'll be fine. No need to worry. (laughs) 
big finish. We love stories. Oh, for my sonic screwdriver. One of the busiest workers in the Big Finish roster, Scott Hancock. Thanks for joining us today on the Sirens of Audio. Thank you for asking me. It's a few little hiccups of timing because you're all the way over in Australia and I'm in sunny, well, it's dreary grey Cardiff. But uh, yeah, thank you for asking and arranging it. It's unusual for Cardiff to be dreary and grey, isn't it? It is, it is. We've been completely misrepresented on screen up till now. <laughs> so so tell me, what's your what's your story, your big Finnish story? How did you get to be in the enviable, enviable position that so many of us fans uh, would like to be in? Um, we think, so we think. It's, it's <laughs> that classic uh, right place and right time, really. I mean, uh, I, I sort of had a, a probably about a six-year gap between my first little uh, sort of brush with Big Finish, which was in 2006. Um, I, I think in about 2004, 2005, Big Finish had done an... They, they did a slush pile thing for, for new writers and uh, an actor friend of mine, Dan Hogarth, and I submitted some ideas, um, both individually and together. And a few of those caught the then producer Gary Russell's eye, but they weren't they weren't deemed to be appropriate for what they or, or they didn't fit in with what they wanted to do with the range at the time. But there was one story um, called The Oracle of Delphi, which Gary Russell liked. Uh, didn't think it would work for Doctor Who, but thought it could be a good Bernie Sunfield adventure. And he passed it over to Simon Gerrier, who was doing the Bernie Sunfield range. So I got um, approached and asked if you know. Uh, asked if I'd like to develop that as a Bernie Summerfield adventure, which, you know, I was very excited about and did. Um, looking back at it, I mean, Simon put a lot of work into it because at that point, even though I listened to a lot of audio drama, um, I had no idea of the conventions for it as a writer. Um, and I think I did a couple of Dark Shadows around the same time. So I, I, I had a little burst of activity around 2006. And then, um, weirdly, at the same time, at the end of that year, I ended up working as a runner on, on Doctor Who in Cardiff. So I was working on the TV show for a while then. Um, and it was around, you know, I, I, I weirdly, I got to know Gary Russell then at BBC Wales. And he kept doing little bits for Big Finish, like the Gallifrey range and things like that. So. Um, I, I sort of helped him out as a script editor and assistant producer, so I got to observe him doing these little um, returns to Big Finish um, as a, an assistant producer on Bernie Sunfield and Gallifrey. And then in 2012, I pitched to do The Confessions of Dorian Gray, and that's kind of what, you know, that was a big gamble for Big Finish and a bit of a gamble for me, because... I had no idea if I could do it, but from then on, I think I was sort of part of the Big Finish producer-director roster, really. That's a very long-winded way of uh, explaining, but yeah, blame Gary Russell for everything, but specifically <laughs> me and Big Finish. He can be blamed for a lot of good things in the Doctor Who universe, so that, it's, it's Oh good. yeah. Oh yeah, Gary's done some wonderful things, but I think he deserves all our blame. <laughs> for sure 
So how long are you doing? Gary, he, he lives around the corner, so he, if he ever hears this, he'll know I'm joking. Unless you cut all that <laughs> out. But, uh. No, nothing gets cut. Just be aware. <laughs> um, how... How long were you doing Dorian Gray? And uh, is that what led into the Torchwoods? Is that where you went um, into sort of the more the Doctor Who universe? Uh, the, the Dorian Gray... I, mean, I don't think it led directly into the, the Torchwood stuff. I mean, I did Dorian Gray for... We did five years from 2012 to 2016. Um, and then called it a day. With regard to Torchwood, I don't quite know... Well, actually, I, I, I do know why that will have happened. Um, uh, but w- when I was working at the BBC, I, I went freelance in 2013. And then because BBC Wales wanted someone who knew how BBC Cardiff worked, but also knew how the licensees worked and had a good idea of, you know, not just Big Finish, but the books and comics and magazines and all of that. I was asked if I'd look after their approvals process as a freelancer, which I did until I think about 2015, 2016. But that meant, because I was approving Doctor Who content, I couldn't work on any Doctor Who products directly or, you know, anything anything I'd be approving. So that, that's why I didn't do anything for the main range or things like that for a good while. But it did mean projects like Bernie Summerfield or, you know, Torchwood, which didn't fall under that bracket. I was allowed to be involved in, and I'd worked with James Goss on some of the new adventures stuff with Benny. And then when Torchwood came up, he knew again, because we'd worked at BBC Wales together, he was doing BBCI stuff at the same time. And, and you know, we knew Russell and we knew Torchwood and, you know, we were, we were seen as a self, you know, a safe pair of hands in that respect. We sort of came together and then slowly developed that in a, in a new direction. I think originally, again, it all comes down to Gary Russell. Gary had been asked to do Torchwood for Big Finish because he'd also scripted the TV series. He knew it really well. But then Gary went off to good old Australia to produce an animation series. And so he wasn't able to oversee Tortured at the same time. He very much wanted to, but it was a case of Big Finish had a license, you know, that they, they'd arranged with BBC Worldwide and it wasn't doing anything. So we sort of took the baton and ran with it and haven't looked back. I think we're about to do our 50th. Well, we've already recorded our 50th monthly Torchwood but then when you've got all the box sets and everything like that we've done a lot which is terrifying (laughs) (laughs) have you got any um particular favorite episodes from from the Torchwood series that uh that you can remember from the from those earlier years the the first time you work with any of the actors is, is memorable because again I sort of knew them from back in the day but then I was so junior, you know, I was just a runner. So it's very odd to sort of directly engage with them um, for the first time. And, and uh, you know, looking back, it feels like we, we've known each other forever. But uh, I think of the first six, I really loved, I mean, Fall to Earth, everyone talks about standing out, the, the one with uh, Gareth David Lloyd and the call centre. And I think that was great because it showed that Yanto wasn't just a butler who stood around, you know, taking notes and chipping in little one-liners. It, it showed what he could be as a character. But also the, the finale was a Guy Adams script called More Than This, which 
again, it's just a really lovely two-hander with Eve Miles knocking it out of the park. And uh, yeah, I, I remember she was absolutely exhausted. I think that was a, that was actually the day Russell um, Russell T came to the studio to say hello, and Eve was running late because she was halfway down the M4 with her kids going on the day out and she'd just completely forgotten she'd been booked for the day so at half past ten she was in the car telling her, her lovely uh, husband Brad to drive back to Cardiff so that was memorable the joy of Tortured is every single story is different you know there are some really funny ones there are some really dark ones really emotional ones really you know hard sci-fi ones and then you know every single one's a challenge but there's something for everyone really yeah, I, I recall listening to more than this. I remember what I was doing. I don't remember the story so much. I remember feeling very spun out by it. Um, <laughs> I was I was working. I had a cleaning business. I remember I was cleaning the windows and listening to, to that particular episode. And I just remember coming out and just looking out over the veranda once I'd finished and just almost shaking my head. It, was, uh, it had that much of an impact on me. I still remember that. One story this year that really... Um, interested me when I mm. particularly when I heard the preview for it was I can't remember the 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 name of it now because it's too long but it's the one with Michael Palin oh tropical beach sounds and other relaxing seascapes volume, volume four. four yeah yeah, so, yeah. Um, <laughs> how did that one come about it's a pretty big coup to get someone like Michael Palin into yeah into Torchwood I think everyone thought it was written for Michael it was actually as so often happens with Tortured, I, I, James and I often talk about ideas for what we can do in future. And I think I'd just, I, I can't remember why I suggested the idea of a self-help tape that sort of guides you through something and could be a bit, take a sinister tone. And James being James mentioned it to the brilliant Tim Foley who just went, yep, I can see how this would work. And they, they pulled together this brilliant script. And, you know, you read a script like that and go, okay, we're going to need someone really interesting to, to pull it off because I mean you could have got anyone to do that story it, it wasn't particularly geared towards a single actor you know um, it, it wasn't even you know a, a male voice or a female voice or, or you know you could have cast literally anybody old young whatever but because it, it takes a, a sinister tone we sort of went well you want someone really pleasant and upbeat to uh, kick off the sort of self-help guide and then everything like that and I'd always I've always wanted to work with Michael Palin I mentioned that to James Goss who just went oh my god wouldn't that be amazing but we're never gonna get him oddly because he's very difficult to get hold of you can't find his agent details very easily at all but I, I persevered and said look I think I've got an in and his agent, his agent was lovely, so he didn't didn't really know who Big Finish were or, or what Tortured was. But we sent a script and explained how we worked and who we were. And um, Michael read it and was really, really intrigued by it and loved the challenge of, you know, effectively a long dramatic monologue. And I think at the time he was still recovering from a, an operation where he'd been told, you know, he had to take time out. So we had to wait a little bit to record with him. But yeah, that, that happened back in January and it was one of the loveliest days. It's a bit like, you know, getting Derek Jacobi or Sean Phillips into a studio where you just go, these people are so renowned. I mean, they're literal, literally legends in their industry. 
but they're always so humble and so warm and, and you know eager for notes as well they, they really want to make it the best it can possibly be particularly if they don't necessarily know the world they're working in so yeah i mean yeah michael palin came about purely through asking and, and being able to offer a bloody good script and thankfully people there were <laughs> it could have backfired we could have had people go this is insane i'm not i'm not listening to anything that doesn't have john barrowman in or eve miles but actually the response was oh my god this sounds absolutely insane and incredible and uh yeah people seem to enjoy it from big finish productions torchwood life is stressful life is cruel sometimes life is exactly like being shot twice in the stomach while the love of your life dies in a nuclear meltdown but enough of living like that. Let's make a change. Sit back. Relax. Close your eyes. Listen to the warm, expensive tones of Sir Michael Palin as he takes you through tropical beach sounds and other relaxing seascapes. Volume 4. Can you hear the waves? Can you feel the hot sand beneath your toes? Can you taste the blood? Of course you can. Good. It's time to change the world. It's time to become someone new. Big finish. We love stories. Even yours. And I have recordings just like that, so now I'm nervous. <laughs> um, self-help recordings. I do, yeah. Very scary. You know, it's an interest. Uh, we recorded that in January, and then back in around February or March, I actually started seeing a hypnotherapist who sent me a lot of sort of guided meditations and things to help see through. And I can't take them seriously now because I've I realise that what we did is actually quite close to those sort of I don't know that yeah those self help guides. Never knew at the time, but uh, yeah, I, I hope there are a lot of people who listen to it and do sort of visualise, you know, close their eyes and visualise what's happening in, in time with Michael's voice. Excuse me if it's you, but who wrote that script? Uh, Trouble with Beach Sounds was Tim Foley. Now, another Torchwood that I've listened to re recently that has a lot to do with you, with one of your other hats as a writer, is uh, Save Our Souls. Yes, good old Queen Victoria. That was released only a couple of months back, and I must say I really enjoyed that one. And it was only within, I think, a day or so before I listened to that one, I'd, I'd watched, um, uh, and then there were none. So mm. it was uh, very, very similar to, to to that in some way. So I was like, hang on, what's, what's going on here? I've just watched <laughs> a story, and it was mentioned in the extras that... Um, uh, part of the inspiration was from uh, from from that. Are you an Agatha Christie fan? I enjoy it when I occasionally read or, or more often see adaptations. It, it, that that steer mostly came from James Goss, who who is a massive sort of Agatha Christie aficionado. And I mean, the, the whole story again. We were discussing ideas, and I had to just in my random research, as you do, into stuff in Cardiff, realised that on screen there was a tortured. Uh, base on Flathome Island 
house in the Bristol Channel, which is about a half hour boat ride from Cardiff. And uh, just just looking up the history of that, you go, oh, Marconi did the first, you know, open water radio transmission there. You know, interesting, tortured her base there. Bit of sci-fi, you know, scientific pioneering also took place there. And it just seemed like it was ripe to, to make you know, uh, make the two collide and bring them together. So I mentioned it to James and said, wouldn't this be a great idea to give someone? And he, bless him, said, yeah, it's a good idea, you do it. I, I tried to say, no, 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 we should give it to someone else. And, um, James went, no, 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 it's your idea, you do it. And it, it was, I'd sort of had the vague idea of a voice being picked up by transmissions and, and sort of taunting and guiding, but. James was very good. I think we sat down one evening after recording and just went through it blow by blow, which saved a lot of time in terms of, you know, working up a storyline for approval and everything like that. But yeah, J James basically said, if we do this, I want it to be like Agatha Christie meets M.R. James. So that sort of detective quality, but also really eerie, sort of spooky atmosphere behind all of it. So yeah, that's sort of how that came about. And then you throw Rowena Cooper in as Queen Victoria, and she's magnificent. And you just go, yeah, this is going to be fun. From Big Finish Productions, Torchwood, save our souls. Can't you do anything about that? That's what I'm trying to do. It's hard to control the signal. For all of us, Owain, believe me. It's stronger today than it's ever been. Almost like it knows. Ha! Ah. Is that it? Patience, Miss Driscoll. Give it time. There we go. What's it saying? Wait for the translation. Honestly, do you have to be so commanding? I'd get used to that, given who's coming. Coming. Grief! She is coming. It knows! Always does. Loud and clear. She is coming. And I am ready. Big finish. We love stories. I wanted to talk about her uh, in the story because in, in Doctor Who we get uh, Queen Victoria who's a little bit paranoid but she's still mm. quite sort of, is cute the word? Or nice uh, at the <laughs> end of it? Uh, at the end of Save Our Souls I found myself not liking this Queen Victoria at all but I still liked her. But that's, but she was, she was, she was awful uh, uh, in she's parts a of lot, story. She's a lot harder. I mean, it's, you think it's, it's 20 years-ish, maybe about 18, 20 years after Tooth and Claw. And you sort of have to imagine that the events of that, you know, that night and, and seeing the, uh, the potential of the universe and, and the threats of the universe sort of hardened her and just resolved her to, to deal with them. I mean, she's she's still quite tough in um, Tooth and Claw. She, you know, she she's got a pistol she carries in her handbag and isn't mm -hmm. afraid to use it. Um, so it's just sort of looking for those little clues in that episode and sort of imagining where that would have led someone, you know, twenty years down the line. Because even in Tooth and Claw, she's very spiritually minded. You know, she she does pay some heed to superstition and she does believe in a sort of afterlife and, and, and you know ghost stories and things like that so it's it's an interesting aspect 
to to someone you I suppose on the surface would imagine would be quite standoffish and, and sort of frumpy and dusty and just sort of matter of fact she you know she had a lot of personality and a lot of quirks I, could, I can't say I didn't like her but I, th- I think I think I was shocked at at how she was towards the end of it and that's good that's what you want out of Torchwood you want to get that unexpected um, feeling that uh, that you, you you don't get that kind of thing in Doctor Who it'd be, it'd be softened a lot I think for, for mm. Doctor Who so um, yeah that's what I liked about uh, about Save Our Souls now in terms of Doctor Who have you been directing the uh, the Fifth Doctor trilogies over the last few? Yeah, sets? I've been I've been producing them and then directed the last couple. Though the one we're currently in, it's well end of August. Yeah, we, we've had to split up the uh, the current trilogy due to world events. But uh, yeah, no, I've been looking after Peter for for a while now, which has been interesting. It sort of came at a point where I think. David Richardson was standing down as as producer on a lot of the main range, and Alan Barnes was standing down as script editor. So I inherited their final sort of block of stories for Peter, which I think were the the what people call the Chameleon trilogy. And then I was able to come in and and um, shake things up a bit with a new companion and do a sort of little mini arc. The news that the monthly range was going to wrap up came quite recently actually but thankfully we'd already planned to wrap up where we were going with this this little mini character arc with with room to develop it further in future if we wanted to but also just not leave any threads dangling so hopefully in the not too distant future we'll be able to hear where that goes but but yeah no certainly in the last year just been yeah, pitting them against Cybermen and all the fallout from that, really. So that left us with the July release, which was Time Apart, mm. uh, a four-episode collection or anthology. It was a decision to go back and do stories all set in a historical period, was it? How did that uh, idea come about? I mean, I mean, Big Finish regularly do their little um, single-story anthologies, and this one was actually meant to come at the end of... The, tr- the, the trilogy in the schedule, but I remember saying to David Richardson, would it matter if we brought it forward? Because it just it just seemed to fit really nicely if we were going to do an anthology with the Doctor traveling solo. It felt like it would just expand that gap we had between the trilogies where he was traveling solo. So that that was quite nice. The historical element was just like, I, I, just, I just sort of wanted a loose theme for the story. All, all the stories and um, I thought I, I just thought it'd be nice to have the Doctor exploring Earth history as something sort of relatively safe and fixed where he couldn't do too much damage I mean particularly when you've only got half an hour to play with you, you, you don't want to spend too much time establishing whole new worlds and characters there's something quite nice about hanging those stories on you know, true figures and events so I put the, the feelers out to a lot of writers and had a lot of ideas, some of which, you know, had been done before in some media, but, uh, you know, we had a fair few where you go, actually, this is new to me. I've not, you know, I might be aware of elements, but 
you sort of go, this could be fun to introduce to an audience. So aspects like, you know, Mary Wade or the Dancing Plague, which I'd never come across. And, and you know, 1970s Berlin is a fascinating period as well, which has never, I don't think it's really been done before. So it's just fun, yeah, looking for those nice true events that would appeal to an audience, but also excite Peter. Halt! Who goes there? I'd rather a friend than the alternative. Step out while I can see you. I'm the doctor, by the way. From Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, Time Apart. A border guard patrolling the invisible line between the east and west. A line which, of course, extends beneath the ground. Beneath the wall. The Berlin Wall. They sealed up the stations when they built the wall. Fourteen years ago, the passengers look out through their windows at these old stations, dark, forgotten, suspended in time. They call them Geisterbahnhöfen. Ghost stations. The devil whispered in my ear and I invited him in. My words that drew you across the bridge were as the kiss that set the people on our lord. It was Clement who whispered in your ear, not the devil. This man was the first to cross the bridge. He came of his own free will and innocent. He is the sacrifice that the spirits demand. Knock, knock. What? Who are you? Uh, Travelling prisons, Inspector. Probably. And this is uh, Mary. one of your prisoners. He's turned Then let's hope this works. What kind of doctor did you say you were? Ah, well, uh, rather like Erasmus, actually. A sort of... Master of all subjects. Strange afflictions like this are something of my speciality. I should warn you, the people of this town are backward and superstitious. They'll think you're a sorcerer. I'll be fine. No need to worry. Big finish. We love stories. Oh, for my sonic screwdriver. Yeah, that was a that was a great episode, that seventies uh, mm. uh, East Germany episode. It was fantastic. I was really annoyed. I really wanted to direct this set, and because of a clash with something else, I couldn't. But I just loved the script so much, and Jamie Anderson was fantastic. Did a brilliant, brilliant job. But I was really envious that he got to direct them and I didn't because particularly that first one, you know, Steve Lyons doing a, a really spooky, almost saffron steel like ghost story. Yeah, I, I, I love that kind of thing. Interesting too um, is the the writers there. You've got a couple of established writers for Big Fish, mm. but a couple that I hadn't seen before. So. For, for a minute there, I, I had to do a double take when I saw Kate Thorman. I thought, has our Kate Orman put a TH on the front of her name? Ah. But no, it's someone completely different. Tell us about the mix of, of authors. Sometimes their sets come out where they're all 
brand new authors, or they seem to be brand new authors to me. Um, this is interesting, um, with a mixture of old and, and uh, new, or well, established and not quite so established. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm, I'm always, whether it comes to writers or actors or you know any creatives, you're trying to introduce new talent and, and be as inclusive as, as possible. So in terms of writers, it's just fielding the, the pitch to as many different people as possible. You know, if, if you only ask four people, you'll only ever get four ideas back. Whereas if you ask 20, I mean, a lot of people won't reply because they're busy doing other things, which is great because they're busy. But, you, you know, you get maybe eight or 10 ideas around, which just means you can find a nicer balance of time periods and different kinds of stories. So you can have one that's very dark and uh, sinister, or you can have one which is a sort of action adventure on a, on a ship on its way to Australia. And it just means you can make every episode quite distinctive and, and different. Now you mention it, yeah, there is a sort of 50-50 split between established big finish writers and, and fresh blood i don't know if that was deliberate but but certainly i'm the, the the sort of single episode anthologies are quite a good way to find completely new talent and or, or new to audio i should say and you know let them cut their teeth i mean actually kate thorman had done an episode of class for me she knew blair mowat who introduced us and, and yeah she she did a really really good character-based episode of that for me and i thought ah oh, i'd love to get you involved in doctor who so that's how i i came to invite her for this and uh tommy Dombavan was as i think people know he he wasn't very well at the time but um had said on his facebook that one of his sort of bucket list ambitions was always to write for doctor who and knowing he he wasn't physically able necessarily to, to do a, a full, full cast, being able to say, would you like to do a, a sort of half hour script, you know, 5,000 words. That was manageable then for him. And, and it meant he could tell a story and um, contribute to the world. And, uh, you know, that was, that, that, that really sort of buoyed him in a way, it gave him something to, to work towards. So yeah, I mean, actually Tommy's was commissioned maybe even a year before other people, maybe not a year, but maybe about nine months, because again, we knew in the schedules looking ahead that this slot was coming up and when Tommy had announced where he was at, I remember saying to Nick Briggs, look, I really want to give this guy a shot, but we probably need to commission now. And Nick, Nick's son loved um, Tommy's uh, Scream Street books and said, this guy's great. We absolutely should get him on board. So we actually commissioned Tommy well ahead of everyone else. And, and you know, the sad thing is, if we'd waited, we'd we'd never have, um, yeah, we'd never have got him. Sad thing, of course, is that it meant he never got to hear his story recorded or, or the end result. Yeah. So so that one was a more direct thing, rather rather than ask for pitches, go to him and say, look, we've got this slot, this format. What do you think you can offer us? Now it was lovely that set was um, dedicated to him. So. Because I had no idea of the background of that, and um, when I heard, uh, well, obviously, Peter Davison mm. dedicates the set to him at the start of the um, of the of the of the set. So, yeah, that was that was sad. But the title certainly appealed to me. What lurks down under? Because <laughs> there should be more Doctor yes. Who set in Australia. That's uh, that's what I would. Or on its way to Australia. Yes. Yeah. Any references to Australia is good. It's a big place. 
There's lots to explore. That's it. Considering how much of the planet it takes up, there have been remarkably few Doctor Who adventures set there. Exactly. I think maybe only two or three big finishes in its entire history have been there. I can only think of The Gathering and Dreamtime. I'm probably wrong. And Dreamtime wasn't even really... Well, I suppose it was scooped up, wasn't it? It was on a... It was flying yeah. through space, wasn't it? It, it? it flirted with Australia. Yeah, kind of flirted with <laughs> Australia. So what are your thoughts on the on the wrapping up of the monthly series? Is it time? Um, well, I mean, as, as a freelancer, I, I just do what I'm told, really. Um, <laughs> you're, you're given a brief and you deliver it. Uh, I mean, uh, we're at a point now where we've got... It, it's going to be about 275 four-part releases and I think the format going forward just means they'll be within the box sets. Hopefully, you know, there'll be scope for you know single episode stories if people want them, or four-part stories, or three-part stories, or maybe a six-part story. I think it, it's just to try and contain things more and make it a bit more manageable. And, and I think people have been asking a while to be able to subscribe to particular doctors. So I think it's just to allow that kind of thing to be a bit easier i can only speak for myself but if i was a new if i was a new person coming in and i mm. saw we're up to 260 i'd feel quite overwhelmed and and as a completist also as a completist <laughs> i'd love it to go to 300 but um i'd feel really overwhelmed having to go back and back through the back catalog whereas if it's contained box sets i think i'd i'd feel a bit more um more able to pick and choose rather than because i know even myself with so much output from big finish one of the things that i've definitely always subscribed to without a doubt is the monthly range and some mm. other things may have fallen by the wayside because i want to keep subscribing to the monthly range so um now that that's stopping well i've got an option to go and either subscribe to other sets or or buy other box sets that i've missed I mean, I, I, I can't talk for Big Finish because even though I am, you know, a regular producer and director, I'm not part of the company in that sense. I'm not staff, so I don't really know the reasons for it. But I think, you know, as a, as a fan and as a listener, there is something quite liberating about, you know, for, for people who have collected being told, okay, um, and, you know, I know, I know, I know a lot of people will listen to things, but I think for a lot many people there is probably that tacit voice in the back of your head going well you've collected 250 of these so you probably should keep going and actually almost having that break where you can just go okay I've got all of those I can now explore slightly further and see what else I want to pick up you know I think that's the advantage is, is people can now pick and choose a bit more easily whereas sometimes subscriptions you know, you wouldn't necessarily know what was coming up in terms of which doctors you might get, or you know, if there's a story of Cybermen that you just miss out on in your subscription, you go, Ah, oh, I wish I could just pick that up as an individual title or stuff like that. So, I think the important thing is it doesn't stop Big Finish telling good stories with those doctors and you know, still pursuing the 25 minute format. Well, well speaking of specific doctors and the box sets we've just had one released this month that you've worked on um the sixth doctor and perry you are dr john smith and miss pepper gilliam brown that's us 
We are Dr. Freud 324 and Dr. Freud 326. We will be your therapist for your allotted hour. What? From Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, The Sixth Doctor and Perry, Volume 1. We don't have a lot in common. So what do you do together for recreation? We do like exploring. It's quite the coincidence that you two should be looking for a lost tribe in the jungles of the Congo. Yeah, funny that. Mm. So you would describe your relationship as healthy? Yes. It's our experiences that have drawn us together, made us like a well-oiled team. What did I tell you about how dangerous it was for us to disrupt our own timelines? Oh! I forgot! It's fine for you to do it, showing off, making yourself the center oh. of attention. Because what? <laughs> You're the doctor. You know best. Perry, do you believe that putting yourself in danger is a way to sustain your relationship? No. Come on, Perry, come on! Almost there now. Getting Perry involved in what I do is my way of protecting her. Otherwise, she just gets bored and wanders off and ends up in even more trouble. You can't just leave me here to die. Oh, but I'm not going to. You need to take responsibility for your own situation. Doctor! Oh, don't make this any harder than it already is, Perry. I'm going to die! Yes, and I'm very sorry about that. Big Finish. We love stories. I'm home! Uh, Philip's just jumped on and joined us now, so um, thanks for getting here eventually, Philip. <laughs> yes, I'm glad to finally get here. Sorry to be <laughs> delayed. I love that passive-aggressive Australian tone between you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it's fine. These things happen all the time, don't they? Well, particularly it's with the time difference, yeah. It's just all so confusing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I'm coming or going. Um, it's really great to have you here, so thank you for what you've already said. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing it. Um, just wanted to chat, I've just finished today actually listening to the Sixth Doctor and Perry box set. Mm. Um, now, you've mainly been looking after the Fifth Doctor audios up to now, haven't you? Well, yes, sort of. Uh, it's, it's all very, in the typical Doctor Who time travel way, very confusing because... The the Sixth Doctor and Perry box set was actually commissioned, I think, way back in 2016, 2017, um, at the same time as the Seventh Doctor New Adventures box set that came out a couple of years ago. Yep. And they were they were released, or they were commissioned to sort of celebrate each of the Doctors as part of Big Finish's 20th anniversary of Doctor Who at Big Finish. But it's that odd thing that even though... I think we recorded the the Sixth Doctor and Perry box set two years ago, and you know commissioned it even earlier. So I don't quite know why it just kept getting. Uh, well, actually, it didn't get pushed back. It was just always quite late in the schedule. So yeah, I'd, I'd actually done those sets with Colin and Sylvester before coming on board to produce the Peter stuff for the monthly range. So I sort of did. The fifth, the sixth, and seventh before going back and doing the fifth. Okay, so was this actually recorded a long time ago then? Yeah, the sixth Doctor and Perry set was recorded in November 2018. So yeah, okay. it's, it's just about just shy of two years ago. 
Yeah, okay. So in terms of with the monthly series ending, is this what we're expecting it to look like? What's going to replace the monthlies? Um, no, I was just, I was just saying sort of, I, I think the, the new sets will probably follow the 25 minute format more closely as well to be a bit more traditional. The, the, the sixth Dr. Perry box set, I, I think it was my decision to do them as hour long stories just to serve as a contrast weirdly to the monthly range because if you're doing 25 minute episodes in the monthly range, it just seemed like a nice opportunity to tell stories in a different sort of shape as part of the box set. But um, I think going forward, the scope is there for people to do anything. And, you know, each production team, um, the producers and script editors are completely different. So I'm sure they'll they'll find different ways to shake it up and just keep everything feeling fresh and exciting. I think this box set works beautifully. I think that the... I mean, I've become a bit bored with the four episode, 25 minutes, I must admit, and... I'm finding the hour stories refreshing, and I thought the four of them were just so engaging, and you, it just tells a tight story quickly. So I'm, I'm hoping we, just see, we see more box sets like this because it was it was great. Oh, thank you. Now I want now I want to ask you. So I mean, I, you, you're touching on sorts of interesting topics, and and um, Lovecraft Invasion. Did you have anything to do with that in the end? I directed it, yes. yes. It was, um, John Ainsworth produced it and Rob Valentine wrote it. So I, I just got presented it as director and told we'd like you to do this in a couple of weeks if you don't mind. And uh, yeah, a really interesting, complex script to deal with. Yeah, we, we spoke with Rob a month or two ago and he had a lot of interesting things to say and we really enjoyed the conversation with him. And I must admit, mm. I enjoyed enjoyed the, the story. Um, and we, we did talk a bit about some the some of the added things that were put in in terms of um, softening the blow. I guess one of my issues I wanted to talk, mention to you in terms of having just listened to, to um, Six Dawn and Perry is that one of the things that some fans complain about with the new series is being hit over the head with the message. And Lovecraft Invasion tended to do a bit of a hit over the head. Um, and I don't think the original script did it, but I think out of being sympathetic and cautious and rightly so with what's been happening with Black Lives Matter um, it, 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 I think it may have erred a bit too much on the hit you over the head um, and yet in the Sixth Doctor and Perry you had stories that had very strong messages very strong morals to tell but without hitting you on the head um, I'm just wondering what your views are in terms of that sort of thing it's interesting because I've read a few reviews, uh, people have tagged me on, on Twitter of the Sixth Doctor and Perry set where I think people would disagree with you and feel that some of the messages, particularly in like, are a bit um, on the nose. But I mean, I, I think it depends what the, the message is really. With, with something like like in the Sixth Doctor and Perry set, which is about social media and our reliance on it. I think I, I think because that's not an issue that necessarily persecutes people in the same way that, you know, racism or, or prejudice would, you're able to present it in a more, dare I say, entertaining way. You can send it up a bit more, whereas you can never tell a story with that tone if you were dealing with a character like Lovecraft. You've sort of got to match the the tone of the story with the issue, I suppose. But, but, but I mean, I mean, the first story dealt with did deal with racism and dealt with imperialism and invasion of empire nations and did it mm. once again without moralizing. I, I, I saw I, like was like was my favorite story in the set. Um, oh. and, and as much as I think it 
as much as it, it, I mean, the point was clear. Well, and I said, it, I think the point was you could actually just enjoy the story for the sake of the story without feeling preached at. I didn't feel preached at at all. But mm. as I listened to it, I was thinking, gosh, that's really making me think about my social media usage, my use of likes, the, the need for acceptance. And I think the story told the story. Well, I didn't think it was pretty at all, but I thought, I thought it was great. You looked, looked at ageism, I think, a bit in terms of the third story um, mm. and how we age. So I, th- I actually think every, all four stories had a strong, very strong moral component, a strong message, so a message there if you wanted to reach for it, but you didn't need to. The stories themselves were self-contained. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a difficult balance to, to find sometimes, particularly with Doctor Who. You know, we were saying earlier with Torchwood, you because for a more adult audience, you can sometimes be a bit more overt. Um, whereas with Doctor Who, you're still obviously trying to present it as a family tea time thing, so you can't necessarily go into the explicit detail of things. So, so it's just making sure there's enough information there for people to get what you're saying without, as you say, hitting them over the head with it. And you, there's a sort of responsibility there as a producer and you know as director and cast and writers and everything even with Nev's script the final story conflict theory because it deals with the idea of therapy not necessarily madness but you 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 know that you're really careful when you're reading it that you don't want to be dismissive of therapy as an as a, as a tool or you know make people go, well, therapy's nonsense, I'll never pursue that because I think as we were again talking earlier, therapy can be a really brilliant thing and I know I've benefited from it and other people have and it's that thing of going, yes, these stories should be entertaining but you don't want there to be any little thing that might be harmful to people and I think that's where you have to make the judgement call is, is, you know, are we are we being irresponsible in how we present things um, so that's always sort of playing at the back of your head so yeah, yeah I, th- I think you choose your battles wisely and what you want to portray and for the most part you know you just want to tell fun adventures with aliens and spaceships and long corridors and just have a blast exploring the universe really I think there's a lot of people who are oversensitive these days too if any moral message uh, that comes across they'll they'll accuse it of bashing them over the head I think people are getting a little bit too sensitive to any moral messages that come through a story sometimes yeah I mean I think it's just that thing isn't it drama is reflective of our times and and, you know if you've got full-blooded characters they're going to have opinions on the subjects that impact them so it's it's not necessarily I, I think if you didn't have characters thinking that way and responding in the way they do within fiction you you'd sort of be doing them a disservice so it's it's that fine balance of you know treating your characters like human beings but also yeah just just not making it necessarily what the story is about or I I think it's why something as you say the headless ones because it's more clearly rooted in, in a bygone past of imperialism and everything like that it's a bit easier to to paint that because you can you can use it as an allegory and then people can find those similarities without it being too overtly drawn whereas the the closer you get to the present day it becomes a bit more sensitive because it could be a more direct you know, sort of statement i guess 
Well, this has all got very serious. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's my fault. Uh, I mean, Doctor Who has always, though, made strong political mm. and, and points. I mean, it's, you know, from Thatcher in, you know, portraying Thatcher in um, Happiness Patrol, I mean, the Green Deaths. I mean, it's, it's never shied back from issues of the time and being on the nose. And, and I'm glad to see this big finish isn't doing that either. And because we want our story to tell to have purpose behind it. Um, is, is it getting harder though with the cancel culture and with the fear of how people will respond even to, to writers or to actors or how free are our creatives at being able to be creative without facing abuse? It's quite easy to, to avoid abuse if you just avoid the platforms on which you might receive. I mean, I am on Twitter and Instagram and things and sometimes get some very bizarre um, unnecessary feedback from people. But for the most part, it's quite positive. It doesn't necessarily impact your 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 decision to tell a story or tell it in a certain way. But I think generally, if, if you're a creative who's been brought up on Doctor Who, like you say, there's a long history of sort of championing inclusivity and and, you know, a united world and just... Yeah, just just not destroying the planet, really. <laughs> so uh, I think it's really interesting because as a child, you know, you watch these things and you never really notice it. You know, you don't really think about capitalism or climate change or pollution when you're watching these adventures. It's only in later life when you are more aware politically that you see it in those stories. And I think the same applies with Big Finish. Is There will be a lot of maybe younger listeners who, who listen to Big Finish and I don't want to say it goes over their heads, they'll take it in, but it won't be for them something they consciously recognise. Whereas I think there are, you know, older, more experienced listeners who've who've seen that already in the real world, whom it lands more heavily with. So I think it, it often comes entirely on, on, you know, your own personal perspective and, and life experience. And I don't, I don't think that, I don't think that does really impact us as creatives, because again, we're trying to be as representative of the world as possible, and the world's a wonderfully diverse place, you know. So you want to reflect that in the stories. And some people think you're being woke, or you know, by talking about certain issues, you're you're using it as a, to make a political statement. But actually, you know, we live in a very political time, and if you want the stories to be relevant, you've sort of got to include that. That said, you know, it's not what every Doctor Who story is going to be about, but... Uh, no, no. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I said, okay, yeah, so, yeah, people haven't hit, listened to the six Doctor Perry, get it? Because every story has a lot in it, a lot and a lot of humour. I I loved how much humour was used. The, the Nerve Fountain one at the end, and the... I mean, I haven't studied a lot of psychology, mm. um, but the references I was already getting in terms of and the you know the Sigmund Freud references and the mm. yeah it was hilarious and 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 I know there's a lot more in there I need to go back and listen again because I know that Nev was putting in more than I was getting all the time <laughs> I was thinking there's bits I was thinking okay I think that's a reference to something too so there's even work in there to do yeah brilliant set I just wanted to touch briefly too on uh, Dorian Gray mm. will we get any more Dorian Gray. Uh, I think Alex and I have said we're working on an idea. Um, yeah, I don't know if I could say much more than that. I don't think we'll ever do a series again. 
But, I mean, we have sort of worked out that in two years' time, it'll be 10 years of Dorian. So wow. it sort of feels like we should probably mark that somehow. And we did, you know, having said we'd never come back, we then did this little lockdown isolation episode earlier in the year. And both sort of, <laughs> in the same way we both went to each other, maybe we should call this day back in 2016, we went, oh, we've missed the old bastard. Shall we do some more? <laughs> and so... Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, but we are sort of playing with ideas and, and where... Again, it's it's sort of based on the, the world we're in now. It suddenly feels like this is an interesting time to tell stories with Dorian in, but equally we're just trying to wait and see what, you know, what state the planet's still in this time next year. Because with COVID and elections and everything like that who know you know we could write something now and in two months time it would be completely different crazy yes um how do you know alexander how do you and alex meet um oh lord um we first worked together in 2010 he came in to do a gallifrey for me i think that was the first time i met him properly i knew of him through bbc wales um where i worked and he was he was acting on a, I think he'd just done a, a series, a medical series called Crash. And so I was aware of him in the local sort of Cardiff media world and, and just said, look, have you heard of this company called Big Finish? We do audio dramas. And he went, oh my God, I'm a massive fan. I'd love to do something. So he came in and did a Gallifrey and then, yeah, we just became mates. And then I always said, look, I've got this idea for a Doran Gray series. And if we did it, I'd love you to play it. And in the way, you know, this stuff happens. He always said, he just went, yeah, you just sounded like another producer going, one day, <laughs> one day this will happen. And then one day it did happen. And, uh, yeah, we've, we've done so much since then, you know, Hamlet and, oh, little, yes, what's here in there? His Hamlet was amazing. That's a uh, really stunning, that, that and King Lear, those two productions were just amazing productions. So we need more Shakespeare too. Bang of Big Finish's Door. I, I don't think they've been the best sellers, unfortunately. I think, I think, I mean, there, there are so many audio adaptations out there, I guess. Uh, it's hard to put another one on the market, but uh, yeah. No, it, uh, Kaz, it's, it's a real privilege to meet you because I've really been enjoying your output. Bless you. It's nice to know. Well, it's that thing. We spend so much time making them and then never, they, they land and then you never really hear them again yourself and forget that other people are so it's nice to know when people yeah, enjoy them it was nice when you came in because it was a younger voice that came through not, not being to me to be too awful to you know in all that but i mean <laughs> you're there's certain voices that come through like um when women do this so we were talking to louise jemison recently and at a mm. girl and the power that that had because it was women's voices in the writing and just the power of that and I think when you brought through a young voice, I think when Oscar, um, Oscar, I keep saying Oscar Wilde, when Dorian Gray came through um, and some of the Gallifrey stuff, you could actually feel a slightly younger voice coming through. Um, mm. It was a bit, bit edgier. I mean, Torchwood, you've done the same thing in terms of there's an edginess to it, which I guess Torchwood always had, but I think you've maintained that edginess. So I just think there's a, there's a value and power in, in a younger voice as well as there is in yeah, different voices. And yeah, there's... There's certain rights you know as soon as a, you know, a script comes out, you listen to it, you can go, I mean, the Nev Fountain that I went, oh, that's Nev. Because, um, you know, when he writes for Nicola, you can always tell he's writing for Nicola because of the lines mm. he gets. And you think, 
Oh, he's biased. Um, in a good way, as he should be. And, you know, there's, so it's rightly guessed that, you know, Dawny, you've got a, a passionate, emotional character. Um, and so you start, mm. to see, you start to see voices come through. So it's, it's great to have different voices coming up out all the time. It's something I think it just makes it more interesting for the listeners. As you say, you, you get different perspectives and you start to sort of almost experience it through a different mindset as well. As you yeah. say, something like At A Girl, because it's written with a female perspective. Just, just, uh, yeah, it's... It, you can't quite put a finger on how it's different necessarily, but there are those differences there that just make it feel fresh because, you know, sadly in the industry, those voices still aren't represented to the same degree as male ones. And same with, you know, people of colour or, you know, people with disabilities. And, you know, there is there are certain sectors of society where you go, they're just not reflected in the arts as much. And... Uh, you know, I think Big Finish, you know, bless their souls, are quite good at, you know, trying to redress that balance, um, slowly but surely. Well, look, um, I really appreciate you you coming on, and uh, thanks for bearing with us while we did come on no, a little later. Uh, Scott Hancock, thank you so much for having a chat with us. Thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot, Scott. Appreciate it. To have written such a book was nothing. To convince the world it was a work of fiction was a triumph. You probably think you know me. You've heard the story, seen the films, or read the book. Dorian Gray, immortal beloved. The man cursed to never age. The portrait that keeps him young, etc, etc. Well, that was only the beginning of my story. A little artistic license, you might say. Because I carried on. Beyond that book. I travelled the world to so many places, met so many people. Saw so many terrible things. And I have oh so many stories now. Tales of friends and lovers, human sin and base corruption, phantoms and demons and death. Can I help you, old man? Thrilled to make your acquaintance, Mr. Gray. I thought Mr. Dorian Gray knew everyone. Actually, we have met once before. The man who cannot die. The immortal beloved. The Englishman who ages not. You do not know what you are meddling with. Come back and get us, Dorian. Give us to them! Dorian! These then are my stories. The Confessions of Dorian Gray. Secrets from a life spent in the shadows. Do not presume you know this story's end. Okay, Philip, you made it. You, you eventually made it. <laughs> but you got I to talk to Scott, so that was good. All these time zones is really getting hard to work with, this, but yeah, it's great having overseas people. They've got so much input, and yeah, having Scott was brilliant. But yeah, same, same about the time zone mix-up, but that's okay. Um, I got my questions at the end, so I was very happy. We'll blame the time zone. It was actually me stuffing the schedule, but anyway, <laughs> we'll uh, we won't put that in. Um, okay, so we, we've talked for a long time. So so let's talk about our recommendations for this episode. Um, I'll go first this time. My recommendation is a book that I heard the guys from the Verity podcast talking about. I was listening to to them just yesterday, and they recommended Chris Reckleston's um, book, I Love the Bones of You, which is 
a lot about his dad and his dad's influences because they were talking very excitedly about Chris Eccleston coming to join Big Finish. So I thought, oh, that sounds like a really interesting book. And to listen to Christopher Eccleston for nine and a half hours in my ears, um, I thought it was good. So I've downloaded that from, from Audible and uh, listened to a little bit of it. It's great. I could recommend that. Christopher Eccleston, I love the bones of you. What about you, Philip? Yeah, exactly. I look, yeah, I look forward to that. Listen to that too, because he's a complex man, um, but a very, very talented actor, and coming back to be finished, so exciting. Um, I've got sort of two recommendations. So, uh, podcast I've always listened to since the very first episode is the uh, Flight Through Entirety, um, which is another Australian podcast, and they actually released an episode last weekend, uh, a commentary episode, <laughs> which is running about four years late for them, um, on the Happiness Patrol. So once again, always great listening. I, I, I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of the commentary episodes because I, yeah, I'm not big into commentaries. I actually I prefer when they do their usual pulling apart an episode and, and that. But this one's actually you know as, well, they're all good and it's funny and they make some excellent points. But from there, I had a look and there's actually a um, an EP that's been released a couple of years ago by Dominic Glynn who did all the music because they were discussing the music of um, Happiness Patrol, which is great. Dominic Glynn actually produced an EP on his music, um, done techno. And so it's not very long, but I, um, I downloaded that on my Apple and have been listening to that. And there's actually some really great stuff in that. So if you like a bit of techno, I'm not a big techno fan usually, but the way he's mixed his themes together, there's some dialogue. So Mr. McCrory comes and does a bit of dialogue um, along the way. Um, it's only three tracks. But, yeah, I've been listening to that and really enjoying that. Awesome. Yeah, I love Flight Through Entirety as well. I haven't been listening from the start, but I did go back to the start and listen to everything. So I think I think that's how I got so far behind on my big finishes, actually, is because I was listening to catching up all the Flight Through Entireties. last. Right, that, okay. that was That was last year. I think I was listening to them for about three or four months, non-stop. Um, well, I, yeah. st- I still go back if I um, if I watch an old episode. Well, or I've been actually, yeah, collecting the complete Doctor Who series, the files, and whenever I read a book, I'd read read the book book article, I'd watch the episode, and then I'd download the corresponding story from Flash from my entirety. And so I sort of had this whole package thing that took two or three days to uh, <laughs> consume an episode and try and build my knowledge. You know, I almost, almost yesterday listened to that Happiness Patrol commentary uh, because I, I was, I wanted to watch a Doctor Who, and I thought, okay, well, I've got the commentary there, so I may as well do that. But somehow I got diverted away from it, and I ended up watching the Reboss Operation. Because oh, great, great show! I'm, I'm getting very drawn to the Graham Williams era in my old age, as you well know, and um, so yeah, that, that was my television fix for yesterday the reboss operation yeah so we can we can actually announce what's coming up on the next episode because we've got it in the can and we've decided um we're going to listen to louise jameson's uh, second part of the interview we did with her talking about her writing her directing shows like atta girl the amiga factor and uh, that's going to come uh, to you in your podcast feed next week. So I bet you're looking forward to that, Philip. I am indeed. It was a great time and, yeah, lots of wisdom there. We've got some great episodes coming up, people. So subscribe, like, <laughs> give us a rating. 
<laughs> oh, actually, that just reminds me too. I always forget to give the, the links where you can um, give feedback. So if you want to send us some feedback, sirensofaudio at gmail.com. Our Twitter handle is at audiosirens. Get onto Twitter, Philip, will you? So you can look yeah, after okay, that sorry. too. And um, our Facebook is uh, just look for Sirens of Audio. You'll find us there. So uh, thank you very much, Philip. It's been a pleasure as always. Looking forward to next time. And uh, until next time, uh, stay listening to lots of lovely audio drama. You know why? Because it rocks, all right? It rocks. It rocks.